Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Dead America, El Paso, Part 7. Dead America, The Third Week, Book 7. Written by Derek Slayton. Narrated by P.J. Morgan. Chapter 1. Day Zero Plus 19. Leon stood in the parking lot of the command center, staring into the distance, feeling numb. The failed attempt to take out Tiago Rivas felt too senseless, too useless, and he was having a hard time dealing with the crushing disappointment and dread. His mind wandered as he looked at the high-end bottle of tequila in his hands, knowing there was only one more in reserve. He clenched his jaw as he thought of Reed, how the kid must have suffered until his last breath. He thought of Mathis, the poor sniper who was probably now suffering even more, if he was even alive. If he was, he was probably wishing for death by now, given the way the Rivases like to play with their prey, especially with a man that had injured El Guapo. Before he could get too far into his own depressed mind, the air horn blared, snapping him back into the moment. He perked up, standing with his shoulders back and his expression neutral. He had to be cool, calm, collected. He had a role to play here, because if Angel Rivas even had an inkling that Leon knew about Mathis or the attempt on his father's life, the town would be wiped out. And with his military friends off with Clara's friends at Fort Stockton, there was barely any firepower to defend themselves. He had to protect the innocent people in this town and play his role. A lone SUV drove slowly up the road towards him, giving him a glimmer of hope that Rodriguez had slipped away to come give him a tiny bit of information. Where they were holding Mathis, maybe. Where to find something to keep Tiago Rivas appeased. Any scrap of help would be useful. Leon's heart sank as the vehicle grew closer, and it was Angel behind the wheel. The SUV didn't stop short away from him as it usually did, this time pulling up right next to him. After a moment, the tinted window rolled down, revealing a smirking Angel Rivas. Do you have today's delivery? He asked with a sneer. Leon held up the bottle, and Angel snatched it from his hand like a dog grabbing a treat. He handed it off to the passenger, who cradled a large handgun in his lap. No big dog and pony show today, Leon drawled. Angel shook his head. Don't need to anymore, he replied, raising his chin. You saw firsthand what happened to my father, so you know what's hanging over your head. We both know that you are running out of offerings, so it's only a matter of time before my father lets me burn this town to the ground. Deep down, Leon knew he was right. They were running low, and each time Tiago looked in the mirror and saw the damage to his face, the less restrained he would be. Regardless, he had a role to play, and he had to stay confident. I wouldn't be getting too confident there, daddy's boy. Leon replied, we've got a few tricks up our sleeves. The kid rolled his eyes. You Americans really are something else, he spat, 
I do hope you keep that attitude while I make you watch, as I got everybody you care about right in front of you. No one will be spared. Men, women, children. One by one, I will pluck out their eyes and dig a blade deep, blah, blah, blah. Leon cut in, holding up his hand to mimic a sock puppet. Angel's eyes blazed, and he looked like he was going to start yelling, but then instead burst out laughing, smacking the steering wheel in his mirth. Your time is coming, and I think you know that, he accused. It's a beautiful day today. You should go out and enjoy it, because you aren't going to have too many more. He rolled up the window and punched the gas, spinning the tires for a moment, before sliding the back end of the SUV around and speeding off into the distance. Leon stayed tall, standing with his shoulders back, waiting for the vehicle to vanish over the horizon. When it was gone, his muscles slumped, and he shook his head. Pains me to say it, he muttered to himself as he turned back towards the command center. But unless we pull a rabbit out of a hat, that asshole might just be right. Chapter Two Leon slunk back inside, the weight of the situation heavy on his shoulders. He tried to remain positive, but it was taking more of his energy than usual. His eyes were weary, dark circles beneath, as if he'd been up for a week and knew he couldn't go to bed yet. As he stepped through the door, Ethel was standing right there, holding a steaming mug of coffee. You drink up now, she said with a smile. He looked at her, and despite everything, he couldn't help but return the smile. Thanks, Ethel. He took the cup and then blinked in shock as she smacked him in the back of the head. Now perk the hell up, we ain't dead yet, she said, fierceness suddenly overtaking her old frame. And until we are, I'm gonna smack anyone who thinks it's okay to look like this. Everybody understand? From the desk area, Rogers, Trenton, and Clara sat up straight and declared, yes, ma'am all in unison. Good, Ethel replied, smoothing down her skirt and taking a deep breath. Now I'll be at my desk if anybody needs anything. She headed off to her seat, and the quartet stayed stock still for a moment, watching her go. Leon shook his head and headed over to his crew, collapsing into his desk chair with a huff. It go that well, huh? Rogers asked. His friend rubbed his forehead and took a sip of coffee. Angel is chomping at the bit to rip this town a new one, he said. And if we run out of stuff to give his old man, I'm afraid he's gonna get his wish. I take it he's still bitter about the whole eye thing? Trenton asked with a grimace. Leon nodded. Pretty sure that's a safe assumption. Did, Clara cleared her throat. Did he say anything about Mathis? Leon shook his head with a sigh. He didn't, and I sure as hell wasn't gonna bring it up. Guessing there hasn't been word from Rodriguez either, the detective asked. He's probably laying lower than we are right now, Leon mused. Looks real suspicious to have the prisoner you bring back to the boss's location turn into a zombie right after. Trenton wrung his hands in his lap. You, you think he's okay? Without a doubt, Leon replied easily. How can you be so sure, Clara asked, picking at a loose thread on her pants because Angel is the type of douchebag that would drop off his severed head on our doorstep if they'd done anything to him, Leon replied. The room fell silent, contemplating the thought 
and trying not to imagine that very thing happening. Well, shit, man, Rogers finally declared. Is there any good news? Leon reached under his desk and pulled out a bottle of tequila, setting it down and presenting it like a car show model. We still have one bottle of the good stuff, he said. So that buys us what, 48 hours? Maybe 72 since they won't know we're dry until the following pickup. Not the most uplifting news I've ever heard, Clara muttered. Leon cocked his head. So I'm guessing nothing was found in town overnight? Roger shook his head. Nothing that helps this situation, he admitted. If we can survive, we'll be looking good, though. Lots of canned food, medicine, and a surprisingly large pot operation. How does that help? Clara asked. Leon chuckled. Well, for starters, we're gonna be all kinds of relaxed. And there were several greenhouses, the detective continued. So if we can get some soil, we can start growing some of our own food. His friend sighed. But no alcohol, though. Nothing of quality, Rogers replied. Found some stuff that could double as an engine degreaser. So unless they've cleared out all the automotive stores in El Paso, it's not doing us much good. A somber silence fell over the room once again. The detective clapped his hands down onto his knees. We still have about half the houses left to search, he said. But with the way this has been going so far, I would be shocked if we find anything. Ethel walked up with a fresh pot of coffee to refresh everyone's mugs. Sounds to me like you'd better start coming up with a new plan, she said brightly. You've gotten us this far, time to take us a little further. She raised an eyebrow and then returned to her desk. Well, let's spitball it, Leon suggested, rolling a hand in the air. No idea to out there, let's hear him. Trenton raised his hand. We could abandon the town. And go where, Rogers asked. We're in the middle of the desert. The younger man shrugged. We have plenty of cars in town and a gas station. We can get pretty far. Again, where would we go? The detective repeated. They're not letting us through El Paso. There's nothing to the north. We'd survive about 10 minutes south of the border. And every bit of civilization to the east is zombie central. Not to mention fleeing the town would give Angel a green light to hunt us down, Leon added. Trenton sank back into his chair, pursing his lips. Clara, do you think we could ask Fort Davis for help? Rogers asked. She shrugged. I mean, we could, but the reality is that they aren't going to have anything of value, she replied. They're a smaller town than we are, so I can't imagine them having what we'd be looking for. Plus, every time you go up there, they shoot at you, Trenton quipped. She wrinkled her nose. There's that, too. So I'm guessing they wouldn't be willing to let us join them, Leon asked. If you were in their shoes, would you let us join? Clara asked, holding out her hands. Several dozen people who need to be fed and sheltered, and who have managed to piss off the cartel army that conquered El Paso. She paused, seeming to contemplate for a moment and then shook her head, taking a sip of her coffee. Leon raised an eyebrow. Didn't like your other idea there, he asked. Not really, she admitted, as it would be borderline suicide. Rogers sighed. Well, at the rate we're going, suicide might be better than just waiting for an inevitable torture-filled death, he pointed out. So throw it out there. 
we could go to Fort Stockton and try to get more alcohol, Clara suggested. The room fell silent again, this time stunned. At first it was the audacity of the suggestion, but then the creeping realization that it was their only option. Fucking hell, Rogers finally said, rubbing a hand down his face. Are the options really that bad? Because that sounds like the best idea out of the bunch. Trenton chewed his lip. Clara, we're good, but I don't think the two of us are going to be able to pull that one off. Good thing it's not just the two of us, she replied, holding up a finger. I'm sure Hammond and them are going to want a chance to rescue Mathis, and without us being here, it's going to be a hell of a lot more difficult for them to do it. Leon leaned back in his chair. Plus, they're all batshit insane, so they'll love the opportunity to blow some shit up. Do you think your other friends up there will be willing to help? Rogers asked. Send me up with a care package, and I might be able to persuade them, she replied with a nod. Ethel approached with a pad of paper and a pencil in her hand. What do you want to send them, hon? She asked gently. Clara turned to her, gripping her coffee mug with both hands. Um, off the top of my head, she thought for a moment. Some more meds for their injured friend. Some hard-to-find treats, maybe some chocolate or Twinkies. And some entertainment options wouldn't be bad. They don't have power, so books would be good. Ethel nodded as she jotted everything down. I have a pretty good inventory. I can have it pulled and loaded up shortly. Trenton let out a whoosh of breath as the older woman headed off with her task. So this is the plan, huh? He asked. Looks that way. Rogers nodded and took another sip of his hot brew. Leon powered up his workstation, clicking away on the keyboard to bring up a satellite image of Fort Stockton. This is a few days old, but it's remained pretty consistent every time I've checked, he said. Not going to be able to pull fresh images for a few hours yet, but this should give you an idea of what you'll be up against. The group leaned forward, crowding around the monitor. There was a huge dark mass in the center of the city. Looks like someone spilled ink on the screen, Trenton breathed. Leon sighed. Wish it was that simple, he admitted. Those are zombies. Fucking hell, the younger man blurted. Fucking hell is right, Leon agreed. That's a solid wall a mile or so thick, running right through the heart of town. Needless to say, you're gonna want to avoid that. Clara chuckled. Thanks for the advice. I think suicide mission was understating it. Trenton shook his head. I don't see how this is going to be possible. Leon zoomed in on the eastern portion of town, where there were several black dots scattered about. It's possible if we get lucky, he said, pointing. For some reason, the bulk of the horde is in the center of town, but the outskirts are somewhat manageable. How big are those groups? Clara asked. I don't know, Leon admitted. Fifty? A hundred? Rogers barked a humorless laugh. How is that manageable? More manageable than the center city horde, Leon shrugged. Touche, Rogers murmured. If there is a liquor store on that side of town, you guys can get in, get what we need, and get out, Leon said. Trenton took a deep breath. And if there isn't a store on that side of town? We ask Sparks if we can move in with them, 
Clara replied. At the three blank stares she received, she laughed and shook her head. Relax, fellas, I'm not serious. Trenton sighed and stood up. All right, I'll get the SUV gassed up. When you get the keys, make sure you grab a blanket, Leon suggested. Trenton raised an eyebrow. Odd request, but okay. Claire is gonna need it, the older man said, inclining his head towards her. We have to assume the cartel is watching us. If they see her in the passenger seat leaving here, they're gonna wanna know who she is. Would rather not explain that one. The two youngsters locked eyes, and Trenton nodded. Blanket it is, I'll be out front in five. He headed out quickly, and she drained the last of her coffee before setting it on the table. You should be okay once you get past Van Horn, Leon said. She nodded. I'll stay out of sight. Still, you need to stay vigilant even once you're past Van Horn, Rogers added. I wouldn't put it past Onhill to have someone trail you all day. She nodded again. We'll be careful. She stood up and turned towards the door. Oh, and don't worry, she called over her shoulder. I'll pick you boys up something nice from the big city. She winked and headed outside, making the two men chuckle and lift their downtrodden mood even the tiniest bit. They turned back to the screen, focused on the massive amount of zombies their friends were heading into. I don't know about you, Rogers said, but I feel kinda helpless. Leon nodded. No kidding, he agreed. Not a damn thing we can do, though. He clinked his mug against the detectives, and they both took a sip as Ethel headed over. Oh, I'm good, I don't need a refill, Rogers said kindly. The older woman handed him a sheet of paper full of addresses and crossed her arms. What's this? Leon furrowed his brow, looking over it. She raised her chin. Just heard you say there wasn't a damn thing you could do, she declared. Figured I'd help you out by giving you something to do. Need these houses inspected and inventoried by lunch. Only care about food and liquor right now. Everything else can wait. She didn't wait for confirmation, just turned and walked back to her desk. The men shook their heads, smiling. Well, you heard the lady, Rogers said, and drained the last of his mug. Leon followed suit and got to his feet. Let's do it then. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Chapter Three Trenton drove the packed SUV down the interstate, moving along at a safe 50 miles per hour. The entire back portion was filled with goods, packed high enough that it was difficult to see inside from the back. He checked his side mirror, noting a moving reflective spark in the distance. Clara stretched out in the back seat, covered in a blanket and resting her head on a throw pillow propped up against the door. She watched him check his mirror for the hundredth time. They still following us, I take it, she asked. Yeah, but they're starting to fall back a bit, Trenton replied. 
Looks like they're getting bored. She shrugged, curling her hands behind her head. Can't blame them, she said. Nothing to look at besides a desert wasteland. And us, of course. Here's hoping they don't follow us on the turnoff, Trenton said. She sighed. Tell me about it, she agreed. As much as I love lounging around, there's not quite enough leg room back here for me, starting to get a leg cramp. Trenton approached the turnoff in Van Horn and focused on the road instead of their tail. It was unlikely zombies would be on the interstate or the highway, but he didn't want to make a mistake and cause them to get in a wreck. As he turned off and saw the clear road ahead, he returned to checking his mirror. Their tail turned off and followed them. Shit, he muttered. Clara's brow furrowed. Still with us? Yep, he replied with a sigh. Well, no sense in worrying about it, she suggested. Just keep going. They rode in silence for a few minutes, and then she picked at the blanket before asking, how are you doing? Trenton shook his head. Um, fine, I guess, he replied, confused. Could use a stretch, but it can wait until we get to the others. That's not what I meant, she said slowly. I mean, how are you doing with Reed? You haven't spoken about it since it happened. He tensed up immediately, shoulders rising an inch. I'm fine. If that's your response, you're obviously not, she said gently. Trenton grunted in frustration. What do you want me to say, Clara? He snapped. My friend died horribly, and worse, he died for nothing. Just like my other friends who have gone out here into a zombie fucking wasteland, looking for trivial shit to appease a fucking madman. I, she stammered, clutching the blanket. I just want to know you're doing okay, that's all. Well, I'm not okay, he snapped. I'm pissed off. And worse, I'm terrified that by the end of the day, I'm going to have to watch you or Hammond or even people I haven't even met yet die horribly. And for what? So a power-hungry madman can get drunk? There was a tense moment, and then Clara pried her fists open, releasing the blanket. You're right, she said quietly. I'm sorry. It's okay. He sighed deeply. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I blew up at you. I just, I don't want to think about any of this until our town is safe. Because if I think about it, it takes my mind away from where it needs to be, which is focused on our job. If I'm not focused, it can easily result in someone's death. She nodded. I get it, it's okay, she assured him. Just, just know that you can talk to me if you ever need to. She reached through the seats and grabbed his arm. He laid his hand over hers and gave it a squeeze before she settled back. Appreciate that, he said thickly. And I do have something that will help you get those horrible thoughts out of your head, Clara piped up. Trenton raised an eyebrow. Oh yeah, he asked. What's that? Just picture Tiago Rivas crying like a little bitch whenever he looks in the mirror and sees his mangled face, she suggested. He cracked a smile not really because he found it humorous, but to ease her tension. I can work with that, he said. Thanks. Anytime, she replied. Trenton checked his mirrors and couldn't find the tailing car. 
Looks like they got bored and went home. You sure? Clara asked. He scrutinized the landscape and then nodded. Yep, we're good. She sat up and stretched, joints cracking and muscles pulling as she worked the kinks out. Oh yeah, that's a thousand percent better. She reached into the cooler in the passenger seat and grabbed a bottle of water, cracking it open and chugging about half of it. Go easy on that, Trenton said, unless you want to stop off in Marfa for a bathroom break. She stopped drinking and shook her head, putting the cap back on. No thanks, she said with a dark chuckle. I'd like to have one of these trips where I don't end up having guns pointed at me. Chapter four. Leon and Rogers approached the first house on the list Ethel had given them. They walked up to the front window and peered in, struggling to see past the sheer curtain liner. You see anything? Leon asked. Roger shook his head. Whole lot of nothing. Well, let's see if anybody's home, his friend suggested, and knocked on the window loudly. They waited, and after several moments, there was still nothing, no movement or noise from inside. Looks like we're all alone, Rogers declared. Leon pursed his lips. If it's all the same to you, he said, straightening his shoulders. Let's assume that we're not. The detective nodded and followed him to the front door. Leon tried the knob, and to their surprise, it turned easily and the door opened. They stepped into the house cautiously, Leon sweeping the front area, as Rogers headed over and threw the curtains open. Sunlight bathed the living room, revealing a quaint lower middle class setup with a recliner, couch, and modestly sized plasma TV. As the dank air swirled around them from the opening of the door, both men gagged. Christ, Rogers huffed. I haven't smelled anything that bad since my college days. They walked slowly through the house, a tiny two-bedroom structure working their way to the hallway. As they went, the smell grew stronger, and both assumed there was a zombie behind the only closed door, a back bedroom. Leon knocked on it, and they waited. There was no sound at all, so after a quiet countdown, he threw open the door. Both men recoiled at the sight. Yeah, that's something I could have lived without seeing, Leon admitted. Rogers nodded jerkily. Same here. A body in a floral dress sprawled across the bed, face blown off, and blood and brain matter splattered all over the sheets and wall behind her. On the floor was a portly man in a plaid shirt and jeans, wrists cut, and sitting in a pool of his own blood. Both looked to have been dead for quite some time, if the rotted smell was any indication. Rogers stepped to the side of the room and opened the windows. Probably isn't going to help too much he said, still fighting the urge to gag. We'll take what we can get today, Leon replied, shaking his head. He stepped into the bathroom across the hall and grabbed a towel, and after Rogers sealed the door, he shoved it underneath to try to contain the smell. They walked back towards the entrance, branching off at the kitchen. Leon rifled through the cabinets above the counter, while Rogers headed for the pantry. Man, can I ask you a question? The detective asked as he opened the doors. Go for it, Leon replied. Rogers paused, pulling out an empty box of cereal. 
when this whole thing goes south, you got a plan in mind? Ever the optimist, huh? Leon rolled his eyes. Just like to plan ahead for when something looks inevitable, the detective replied. Fair enough, his friend replied with a sigh as he slammed a drawer shut. In this scenario, I only have one thing on my list. Rogers cocked his head. What's that? Strangle on Hel Rivas with my bare hands until his beady little eyeballs pop out of their sockets, Leon declared. The detective laughed as he dug around in the pantry, shaking his head. What's so funny? Leon asked. Sorry, I'm just cracking up, because that's the only thing I have on my list as well, Rogers admitted. Leon shared his mirth and closed the last cupboard in the kitchen proper. I got jack shit over here, he reported. You got anything? Some mac and cheese and a couple cans of soup, Rogers said. Leon shrugged. Well, we got dinner tonight, so that's something. He pulled out his notepad and jotted down what they'd found. On to the next one? Rogers nodded and motioned for his friend to lead the way back out, waving his hand in front of his nose. On to the next one. Chapter five. Trenton pulled up to the little collection of structures east of town. A door on the right opened up immediately, the barrel of a rifle poking out in his direction. He quickly raised his hands and gave a wave. Landry emerged into the daylight, lowering his weapon and giving a wave. Hey, looks like we got some company, he called over his shoulder. Hammond and Whitaker stepped out from the garage, smiling at the familiar faces. Trenton and Clara hopped out of the SUV and began stretching and shaking out their stiff joints as their friends approached. Any news about Mathis? Hammond asked immediately. Clara shook her head with a sigh. Sorry, nothing yet, she said. Rodriguez has been on lockdown since the incident. We haven't seen him at all. The soldiers shared discouraged glances, and then Landry scratched the back of his head. Well, not that we aren't glad to see you, he said slowly. But what in the hell are you doing here if you don't have info on Mathis? She opened her mouth to answer, but the door to the main building opened up, and Sparks and Rufus emerged, heading over. Good to see you again, Sparks said, her red hair almost glowing in the sunlight. And looks like you brought another friend. Trenton held out his hand. I'm Trenton, he said, and she shook it. Good to meet you, she said. I'm Sparks, and this is my good friend Rufus. The scruffy older man didn't crack his deadpan expression. Charmed. Why don't you come inside, Sparks said, stifling a smile at his demeanor. We just got a bit of a late breakfast going. Rufus wrinkled his nose. Might be a little skimpy, though, since we've been hitting the food supply a little hard of late. He eyed Clara, and she lowered her gaze, knowing that she had been the one to drop off three more mouths to feed just a few days prior. We really do appreciate it, she said quietly. And to show our gratitude, we brought along a little care package. She motioned to the back of the SUV, and the duo headed over, eyes widening at the stash. Looks like some good stuff in there, Rufus mused, rubbing his chin. Even some books. Sparks smirked at him. Don't worry if we can't read them. We can always use them as kindling. 
He chuckled and shook his head, the snippy tone gone from his voice as he waved to the group. Come on, he said, much more jovial. Let's get y'all fed. They started to head in, and then Whitaker turned. You coming, Landry? She asked. He shook his head. I'll keep watch. For what? She asked. Trouble? He replied with a shrug. No matter what we do, it always seems to be right behind us. She took a deep breath and then nodded. I'll save you a plate. She headed inside as he started down the road towards the interstate and got situated in the living room with the others. How's Ricky doing? Clara asked as Jeff slaved away at the camping grill in the corner. I think he's doing better, thanks to you, Rufus replied. Mary's in there tending to him now. Clara leaned back on the couch. We brought up another bottle of those meds, so hopefully it'll get him back to where he needs to be, she said. Hammond put up a hand. So Clara, what sort of shenanigans are we getting into today? He asked. She sighed. The cartel is pushing us hard, and Angel Rivas is ready to burn us all to the ground, she admitted. So we have to go into Fort Stockton to find what we need. The entire room fell silent, the only sound coming from the sizzling meat on the stove. Rufus was the one to break it, running his hands over the back of his neck. No, that doesn't sound like a bad idea at all, he said, sarcasm evident in his tone. Look, we know how it sounds, Trenton began. Do you? Rufus shot back. Have you been to Fort Stockton? Because we have, at least to the city limits. Got close enough to look through binoculars and see that it would be safer to run through a German police dog convention while wearing ribeye underpants. Clara linked her fingers together. We saw the satellite imagery, and it does look daunting. That's a fucking understatement, Rufus snapped. Sparks reached over and patted his knee, giving it a little squeeze. He sighed, resting his hand over hers. Sorry, he said to Clara. You were saying? She nodded in thanks. Most of the zombies are in the center of the city along the main road, she explained. The outskirts on this side of things is a little sparse. How sparse? Sparks asked. Clara shrugged. Several groups of 50 or so, she replied. Maybe up to 100. Could be doable if we're careful, Whitaker cut in, and prioritize diversion rather than direct confrontation. Hammond crossed his arms thoughtfully. The problem is there's no way of knowing where we're going, he countered, unless Leon was able to pinpoint a liquor store from the sky. Jeff entered the room with a large wooden tray stacked with food setting it down on the coffee table. I might have a solution for that, he declared. Since when did you become the idea man of this operation? Rufus asked playfully. Jeff winked at him. Well, somebody has to pick up your slack, old man. Okay, boy, Rufus said with a chuckle. Let's hear your grand idea. The skinhead straightened up. We can go to the wrecker yard. God damn it, Rufus muttered. Clara's brow furrowed. What's wrong? Nothing, the older man replied. Just pissed off he came up with a great idea. The young woman leaned forward, shaking her head. I'm confused, she said. 
What good is a wrecker yard gonna do us? Hammond nodded, pointing at Jeff. Because they're gonna have a good detailed map of the area. And most likely a phone book, the skinhead added. Clara finally smiled, snapping her fingers. So we can find a liquor store, find out where it is, and get it to go. Bingo, Jeff said, pointing at her with a smile. Hammond slapped his thigh. Well, you can count me in, he said. Whitaker? Damn straight, she replied immediately. Gonna be real difficult to rescue Mathis if we don't have a launching pad. The youngsters blinked at her, and she scratched the back of her head, grimacing. And you know, she held up a hand. Protecting innocent lives and stuff. They smiled at their success in giving her a hard time. Landry's just itching to blow something up, so he's in, Hammond continued, and turned to Sparks. Can we pick you up anything while we're out? She cocked her head. Well, if there's something we want, we'll just pick it up ourselves. We will? Rufus asked through a mouthful of fried meat. Jeff raised his eyebrows. Yeah, I'm with him, he said, pointing to his older friend. We will? I don't know about you boys, Sparks declared. But I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines. You do what you want, but I'm helping these people. She stood up, crossing her arms. Her friends shared a helpless glance. Well, you know me, girl, Rufus said with a sigh. Where you go, I go. Jeff flopped down in his chair. Can we at least eat first, he asked. I worked hard on this. Sparks grinned and nodded, taking her seat again. Well, let's dig in, because we have a busy day ahead of us. Chapter Six the group of eight took a knee by the edge of the road, just outside of the wrecker yard that was a mile and a half to the southwest of town. Hammond and Rufus both pulled out their own sets of binoculars, scanning the area. There were dozens of broken down cars scattered about the field, with a small vacant parking lot leading up to the main building. A fenced in area with barbed wire on top, extended out from the far side, with heavy duty wreckers inside. I got a few live ones by the cars left of the building, Hammond reported. Got one to the right, Rufus added. Hammond nodded, lowering his binoculars. Move quick, strike silently, he said. The longer we can go without giving ourselves away, the better. And watch the undercarriage, Rufus added. Those things like to get under there for some reason. The group headed out, four in the front and four a few steps behind them running in a two-by-two two formation. They wove between the cars, leaders readying their knives to strike, the rest keeping an eye out for any surprise trouble. The four creatures dropped in near-synchronized attacks, and then Hammond and Whitaker broke away to head for the building. The private went up the few steps first, stopping at the door with her sergeant right behind her. She turned the knob, finding it unlocked, and then nodded to him to let him know they were good to go. The other six stood back, giving the duo room to flee if they needed to. Whitaker threw the door open and rushed in, knife at the ready, but nothing jumped out at her. Hammond followed close behind, and they moved about the space carefully. It was a tiny waiting room with a few dinky plastic chairs. A large plexiglass window allowed them a view of the work area. Whitaker approached and peered through. 
the sun piercing through the gaps in the blinds to show the messy workroom. But it was no worse than it would be on a normal workday. Certainly not an apocalypse workday. I think we're good, she announced. No blood or signs of struggle. Hammond nodded and headed over to the workroom door, gripping the handle. It was locked, so he took a step back and gave it a swift kick, freeing it from its hinges. They burst inside, doing a quick sweep. We're clear, the sergeant said. Whitaker headed to the front and waved everyone in. They milled about, Landry opening the blinds to flood the room with light. Start checking desks for phone books, Hammond said. I got us a map on the wall. He studied it as everyone began pouring through the desks, opening and closing drawers and rummaging around on shelves. Got one, Landry declared, popping up from behind a steel desk. Sparks pulled a book down from a plastic shelf in the corner. Me too. Hammond pulled the tacks out of the map and brought it over to a work table in the center of the room. He shoved over some of the tools and spread it out so everyone could see. He snatched a marker from a nearby desk and held it out to Rufus. You wanna do the honors? He asked. The older man nodded with a smile. With pleasure. Rufus looked on the map, finding roughly where they were on the southeast of town and circling it. Sparks and Landry opened their books on the other side of the table, flipping through them. Got a liquor store, Landry exclaimed, pointing at a page. Rufus looked at him, marker poised. Where's it at, he asked. 1438 Maple Lane, the private replied. Rufus looked over the map for a moment, finding Maple Lane and tracing his finger along it to the 1400 block. That's a no-go, he said, shaking his head. Unless you got air support and can do a bombing run. Shit, Landry muttered. I'll keep looking. Got another, Sparks piped up. 6250 Elm. Rufus furrowed his brow at the map key. Street or parkway, he asked. Um, she paused. Street. He traced the road again, honing in on the building. We're in business, he declared with a grin. He circled the block on the far south side of town. About 15 blocks due west from here. What do you think, Whitaker asked, turning to Clara and Trenton. You saw the satellite imagery, is this doable? Trenton reached out to Rufus, motioning for the marker, and the older man handed it over. Trenton leaned in and drew a large circle around the center of town along the main road. Best I can remember, he said as he drew. This is roughly the area where the horde is. Hammond let out a low whistle at the size. He studied the southern portion of it, noting that it was only about six or seven blocks from the edge of the mast to the liquor store. That's not a lot of room to work with, he mused. Whitaker sighed and nodded, especially if his guesstimation is off by a block or two. I've run missions with worse looking info, Rufus piped up. She cocked her head and shrugged. Shit, you ain't kidding. I think we should go for it, Hammond declared, leaning his palms on the table. Sparks leaned over to compare locations. Doesn't look that bad, she said and turned. Jeff? The skinhead sat on a desk, looking out the back window towards the wrecker lot. Huh? He asked, shaking out of his reverie. Yeah, whatever. Y'all don't pay me to think, just to crack skulls. 
Hey now, you're a lot more valuable to us than that, Rufus replied, holding up a hand. I mean, you cook too. Jeff smirked and then turned back to his window view. All right, let's do this, Hammond said. Landry held up a finger. Got another road, he said. We've got our target already, Whitaker said. He motioned to the map. Just humor me. All right, what you got? Rufus asked, leaning back over the map. 947 Oak Drive, Landry replied. The older man traced along, finding the address to the far northwest of the center city. It was a good 10 blocks from the far edge of the horde. That's way the hell out there, Rufus said. Hammond nodded. Yeah, I'm liking that one a whole lot better, he added. Good find. Whitaker clapped Landry on the shoulder. Don't get too excited, he said, shaking his head. We're still gonna have to hit the first one. The one I just gave you is Bert's guns and ammo. At the blinking stares from his companions, he spread his arms. What? We're here, might as well make the most of this trip. He looked to the sergeant. If we're gonna get Mathis, I'd rather have a lot more ammo than what we currently have, unless you wanna run through Camp Bliss again. Whitaker and Hammond shared a look and the sergeant shook his head. Okay, two teams, he declared. We get what we need and rendezvous back here. Trenton, Clara, you two come with me since you're gonna know better than anyone what we're looking for at the liquor store. Jaff slid from his seat, rejoining the group. I'll join up with that too, he offered. Need to do a little shopping for the house anyway. Whitaker, Landry, you take Sparks and Rufus and get whatever weapons you can, Hammond continued. She raised a fist. Not a problem. Gonna be on channel six, the sergeant said. But no communication unless there's trouble. Last thing we need is someone listening in on us. Whitaker nodded firmly. On it, Sarge. All right, let's move like we have a purpose, Hammond declared. Got a long day ahead of us. What vehicle we taking? Jeff asked. The sergeant shook his head. None. Jeff gaped at him. You want to do this on foot? He asked. Even when we have those big ass wreckers in the back? Yep, Hammond replied with an air of finality. Jeff waited for more, but when he realized none was coming, he threw up his hands. What in the hell for? He demanded. We can just plow through whatever gets in our way and we're out in minutes. Because it's too risky, Trenton cut in. Yeah, the wreckers can plow over a lot of them, but all it takes is one getting caught up in the engine and it's game over. Jeff crossed his considerable arms. How the hell would you know that? Had it happen last week, Trenton replied coolly. We got lucky that there weren't too many of them around, but with this size of a horde, it would be death. The skinhead pursed his lips. And being on foot is better? Believe it or not, it is, Whitaker replied. Even with sporadic gunfire, it's going to be hard for them to nail down our position. Having a constant engine rumble would be trouble. Trenton nodded. Not to mention that we're going to have to get away silently so they don't follow us out of town. Jeff shook his head, rubbing a hand over the smooth skin. You people are nuts, he declared. But what do I know? As the spirit, Rufus quipped, slapping his friend on the back. Plus, this way you'll get to crack more heads than if you were riding in air-conditioned comfort. Jeff barked a laugh, 
and then sighed. God damn it, old man. I hate it when you have a point. Chapter 7 Hammond led the group through a mixed-use neighborhood on the south part of town. They'd moved an extra four blocks to the south of where the liquor store was, trying their best to limit their exposure to the zombie horde. As they walked down the street to the west, there were a handful of zombies scattered about, none closer than ten yards from one another. The group took turns stepping up and smacking them down with the butt of their rifles or stabbing them in the head. It was casual, as if the ghouls were more like a nuisance than a real threat. As they moved through an intersection, Hammond looked up the road in the direction of the store, a clear path straight up as far as he could see. So Jeff, Clara asked as they walked, what's your story? The skinhead shrugged, swinging his free hand. Not much to tell, really. Oh, come on, don't be coy, she teased. Gotta be something to you. He smirked. If you insist. I do insist, she replied, returning a sly smile of her own. Okay, you asked for it, he replied with a dramatic sigh. But there's not much to tell, really. Made some bad choices growing up and paid dearly for them. Made a few more bad choices while paying for the original ones. He rolled up his sleeve, revealing his German war tattoos, shaking his head as she recoiled from the sight. Don't worry, he assured her. I know they're bullshit, but it was either that or spend my entire time on the inside getting my ass kicked, or worse. Clara's gaze softened, and she scratched absently at her chest. It's okay, she said softly. We aren't our past, or the markings on our bodies. He nodded at that, and then stepped up to a dark-haired zombie in blood-soaked clothes. It lunged at him, snarling and he grabbed it by the shirt and leg, flipping it over and pile-driving it straight into the pavement with a sickening crunch. Everyone flinched at the noise except for Jeff, who continued talking as if he hadn't stopped. Anyway, after getting out, I started to turn my life around when I met my motley crew at a diner outside of Austin on the first day of the apocalypse, he said, waving his hand around his head as if to motion to the world. Ever since then, we've been busting heads and just trying to live one day at a time. Clara cocked her head. See, that wasn't so hard, was it? She asked sweetly. He chuckled. No, I guess not. Hammond pulled out his hand-drawn map, noting their turnoff road up ahead. He held up a hand to signal them to stop, just before the intersection. Let me just check things out before we make the turn, he suggested heading up to the corner alone. He peered around the brick building and frowned at the sight of a few dozen zombies two blocks up. He pulled out his binoculars and attempted to see past them, but it was hard to tell what was on the other side. He pulled back and lowered the binoculars. Okay, we've got some trouble, he said. How bad, Jeff asked. The sergeant checked his weapons. Few dozen, maybe 50 of them. Shouldn't be too hard to take them out, the skinhead replied with a shrug. Clara shook her head. Why should we, she asked. Let's just go around them. Wasn't the last block clear? Yeah, but if we do that, we run the risk of them hearing us when we get into the liquor store, Hammond replied. Or worse, we have trouble getting in and they get on us. She held out her hands. 
so we lure them away. The group all looked around at each other, contemplating that. That could work, Trenton murmured. Jeff nodded. I've sure as shit heard worse ideas. Great, I'll get on it then, Clara declared. Whoa, whoa, Hammond said, holding up a hand. Calm down there. What? She crossed her arms. You know I'm capable. I'll get them around the corner, take them down a couple of blocks, then circle back around here and start running to leave them in the dust. Meanwhile, you three can get up to the liquor store and get inside. Easy peasy. The others glanced at each other until Jeff laughed, shaking his head. I don't know about you two, he said, but I've spent the last three weeks with Sparks laying more smackdown than any other person I've ever seen, male or female. I'm gonna go out on a limb and assume this girl here can handle herself as well. Clara pointed at the skinhead. Yeah, what he said. Okay, Hammond conceded and shot her a firm look. You be safe and remember the most important thing I've taught you. She grinned. Knocking them down is more important than delivering a kill shot. That's my girl, the sergeant replied, clapping her on the shoulder. Go get him. Chapter Eight Clara casually walked around the corner, leaving her three partners behind. She strolled up the center of the street, pausing briefly at the next intersection, checking both ways to make sure it was clear. She stood in the middle of the road, staring at the mob of creatures 30 yards ahead that had their attention focused on a small storefront. She put two fingers into the sides of her mouth and let out a deafening whistle that echoed through the empty streets. All right, come and get me, she yelled. The bulk of the zombies immediately turned towards her, reaching and shrieking and shambling towards her, arms outstretched in excitement. Some staggered so quickly they tripped over each other, sending several to the ground like an old slapstick film. That's right, walk this way, she urged, and started moving backwards. As the mob reached within 10 yards, she turned and headed east on the side street at a deliberate pace. She continually swept her gaze around ahead to make sure nothing popped out in front of her, every so often glancing over her shoulder to make certain the pursuing zombies weren't catching up but still following. The next intersection was clear, and she took a deep breath. Okay, friends, one more block and we're good. Meanwhile, the boy slipped around the corner and moved quietly towards the liquor store. When they got to the intersection, they peeked east, watching the tail end of the mob heading after Clara like the pied piper of the undead. Be safe, girl, Hammond murmured under his breath, and then focused on their goal. Jeff rushed a trio of zombies that had gotten so tangled in their excitement, they'd stayed flopping on the ground and kicked through them as they tried to get to their feet. He kept going, and Hammond and Trenton knifed their skulls on their way by to make sure the way was clear for Clara's return. Come on, two more blocks up, the sergeant said, and the trio jogged up the road, doing a quick sweep of the next intersection before reaching their target. The liquor store was on the corner, an older single-story building with a wooden exterior and bars on the windows. Hammond rushed up to the front. Cover me, he said. The other two kept watch, eyeing two zombies a few doors down, but nothing an immediate threat. I got him, Jeff said, 
and strode over to the middle-aged couple with various bite marks all over their exposed, rotted skin. He kicked the first one in the chest, sending it tumbling back as he grabbed the second one by the throat and jabbed his knife in its eye. He tossed the limp corpse back onto the other one that was struggling to get back up. It smacked back into the asphalt, pinned by its friend, and Jeff casually knelt and delivered a kill shot to the forehead before strolling back over to the door. Not bad, Trenton said. Jeff grinned. You should see me when I'm pissed off. Hammond finished picking the lock, and it clicked open. We're in, he said, and then did a quick countdown before opening it. The trio invaded the space, sweeping the immediate area after closing the door tight behind them. It was dimly lit inside, with only a few strands of daylight streaming through the skylights. I got the main aisle, Hammond said quietly. You take the sides. They split up, moving briskly across to the back of the store, where they met up again. Find what you need, the sergeant said, turning to Trenton. Then he addressed Jeff. We need to work on a door prize in case Clara brings back some unwelcome guests. Meanwhile, Clara made the turn around the same corner she'd started at, looking over her shoulder at the zombies that were still a block behind her. They were moving a little quicker than she'd anticipated, and her legs were a lot more tired than she wanted to admit to herself. Once she made the turn, she slowed a little as her thigh cramped up. She rubbed it as she walked and crossed the first intersection just as the creatures followed her around the bend. Shit, she muttered, and picked up the pace as her cramp began to dissipate. The zombies continued to pursue her, and she sped up to a light jog within two blocks of the liquor store. In the distance, she saw two figures moving towards her, and she drew her knife, shoulders tensing. When she noticed they were carrying bottles, she slowed a bit and sheathed her knife, waving at Hammond and Jeff. They met in the intersection, and she leaned down to rub her thigh again. You all right? The sergeant asked, brow furrowed. She nodded, waving him off. Yeah, just a little cramping. We'll head on back to the store. We got it from here, Hammond said, holding up one of the Molotov cocktails in his hand. Clara nodded and hobbled past them. Jeff turned to the sergeant, smiling. Ready to light him up? He asked. I've had it, sir, Hammond replied. The skinhead set a bottle on the ground and pulled out a lighter from his pocket. He set the rag ablaze and then hefted it into his hand, taking a leap forward and following through by chucking it as hard as he could. The Molotov flew through the air, landing with a smash in the center of the pack. Flames whooshed up, engulfing several corpses, but doing nothing to slow them down. Hammond held his out for Jeff to light it, and then threw it short, the bottle hitting the road just in front of the pack. The fire caught several of them and created a blazing barrier that several more staggered through. Come on, let's fall back a bit and let it work its magic, the sergeant said, waving for Jeff to follow him. They moved back to the next intersection, just outside the store. Most of the charred creatures had fallen down on the street, a few of them still staggering stubbornly despite their predicament. More shuffled towards them, having avoided the flames altogether. Round two? Hammond asked. Jeff nodded. Round two. He lit them both at the same time 
and they threw in unison. Both bottles landed at the feet of the front row, exploding in a spectacular display of flame. The wall of fire quickly ate the ghouls wandering through, catching some of the ones behind by proxy. Soon the flames spread from zombie to zombie, the rotted flesh and clothes burning to a crisp. Not too bad, Hammond said as they admired their handiwork. Jeff wrinkled his nose. A shame to waste good liquor, though. Don't know what you drink, the sergeant said, shaking his head. But that was sure as shit not good liquor. The skinhead laughed. In my book, if it gets you drunk, it's good liquor. Hammond shared the laugh and clapped Jeff on the shoulder. You're my kind of people, man, he declared. Come on, let's go see if we can give them a hand. Chapter Nine Whitaker led her team up the outskirts of town, far on the east side. They reached the Target Street, peering straight down it and noting a pack of zombies a few blocks away. Damn it, she cursed. That's the third block in a row with them packed in tight. Sparks shook her head. Not sure we're gonna have much luck going up further, she said. Even if we do, isn't the gun store down this road? Yeah, five blocks, Whitaker replied. The redhead frowned. So even if we circle around, we're gonna have to fight off a shitload of these things. Looks that way, Whitaker said with a sigh. Rufus scratched the back of his head. How bad y'all need this stuff? Last time we fought the cartel, we burned through a thousand rounds of ammo, Landry piped up. And I'd be surprised if we even took out one twentieth of their numbers. Rufus crossed his arms. Landry, I'm a simple man, he said. You can just give me a yes or no without having to impress me with fractions. In fact, the only fraction I give a damn about is a fifth, and only when it applies to whiskey. Speaking of which, Sparks cut in. Did you remember to give Jeff your shopping list? Rufus waved his hand. Oh, he knows. The group shared a laugh, except for Whitaker, who continued to stare intently down the road. It's your call, Spark said, addressing the soldier. If you want to go for it, we'll back your play. Whitaker clenched her jaw for a moment. I just know they have Mathis and are doing God only knows what to him, she said tensely. The stuff in that shop can help us get him back. Just feels like we owe it to him. Then let's go get it, Sparks declared, giving the woman's shoulder a reassuring squeeze. Landry sighed. A shame I don't have any grenades, he said, shaking his head. I could just get on a rooftop and chuck it down a block to clear him out. Didn't you bring C4? Whitaker asked. He nodded, but held out his hand, wiggling it back and forth. Yeah, but I don't have much left, he said. Need to save it for an emergency. I got a redneck rattler, Rufus piped up. The soldiers paused and raised their eyebrows at him. What in the holy hell is that? Landry asked. Rufus grinned. Just a little concoction I came up with after spending way too much time alone in the woods, he replied, and pulled out a bright red metal PVC pipe with a fuse sticking out of it. Landry cocked his head. So, a pipe bomb? Don't go insulting me with that pipe bomb bullshit, Rufus scoffed. 
any eighth grade street punk can build a pipe bomb. This is a goddamn work of art that, if used properly, can level a fucking building. Landry playfully put his hands up, as if to beg for forgiveness, a smile on his face. My apologies, sir, he said, bowing his head. I will never underestimate the destructive power of your creations again. Good, Rufus replied, and tossed it to the soldier. Now make goddamn sure you aren't in the direct path of it when that thing goes. Trust me on that one. Landry nodded and put it in his back pocket. So is this the play? He asked, turning to Whitaker. Unless there is a helicopter available that I'm not aware of, she replied dryly. He chuckled and nodded. Okay, so the gun shop is two blocks up from the horde, right? He asked. According to the address you gave me, Whitaker confirmed. He took a deep breath. Well, here's hoping that I can read, he joked, and then took off running. The others walked up the block, getting in position to the side of one of the buildings on the corner, staying out of sight. Whitaker watched as her partner sprinted down the other side of the street, rushing towards the next intersection. He reached the corner building, taking a knee behind cover to stay out of sight. All of the buildings were single story, all connected in one long row. They were low-end, small-town shops, the kind owned by local people instead of franchises. Restaurants, clothing, you name it. Landry looked through the window of the clothing store on the corner, seeing no movement inside. The sunlight lit up the space, just enough that he could see a staircase in the back, leading to presumably an upstairs office. If there is roof access, it's gotta be there, he thought, and glanced back towards the zombies. They were on the other side of the block, hanging out in the intersection, and none of them had noticed him at all. He knelt in front of the front door and pulled out his lockpick, getting to work on the deadbolt. It was an older style and didn't take long for him to release the latch. He made his way inside, gently closing the door behind him to avoid making any noise, and then drew his knife. He moved quickly and quietly to the back, just in case of any surprises. It seemed that the building had been locked up tight since the start of things, if the thick layer of dust on the register was anything to go by. Landry headed up the stairs to the office, making sure to rap lightly on the door before opening it. Nothing greeted him, so he headed inside, and pulled out his flashlight to look around the dim space. Once the room was clear, he pointed it at the ceiling, finally finding a hatch in the corner. And we're in business, he said, and put the flashlight away. He wrapped his hands around the edge of the desk and shoved it into the corner of the room. He hopped up on top of it and pushed open the hatch. Sunlight blinded him temporarily as it shone into his eyes, but he shook it off and grabbed the edge of the hole, pulling his body up onto the roof. He blinked to adjust his vision, and then crept to the edge of the roof to look down on the cluster of zombies. As he leaned over, his stomach dropped at the horrific sight. It wasn't just groups at several intersections. It was one long stretch of rotted flesh. Easily upwards of a thousand ghouls stretched for several blocks. He looked to the north, noting that the ones they'd seen were the tail end of it. But south, it was three solid blocks of monsters, shoulder to shoulder. Fuck, even if I do set off a diversion, they're not gonna have much of anywhere to go, he thought, 
imagining the cluster just getting denser. He walked to the southern end of the roof, on the other end of the block. He stood there, looking out, contemplating where would be the best place to throw the bomb. The road running north to south was packed full, but there were only a handful of zombies on the west side. Maybe I can get them all going in that direction, he mused. And they'll file up that street and keep walking. Not ideal, but it's a lot better than them standing here. He took a deep breath and then shrugged to himself. Worst case is that it doesn't work, and we're only out of one of these. He looked at the bomb in his hand and chuckled quietly. Redneck rattlers. He pulled out his lighter and lit the fuse. Okay, here goes nothing, he thought, and took a few steps back before darting forward, using the momentum to throw as hard as he could. The rattler soared through the air, clearing the intersection and bouncing on the pavement, about 20 feet up the west side of the cross street. It pinged on the pavement, drawing the attention of several zombies, and then settled against the side of the building. Landry watched it for a second, and then remembered Rufus's warning. Oh shit, he muttered, and dove back hitting the roof just as the bomb exploded. The sound was deafening, leaving his ears ringing as it echoed off of the buildings. He dragged himself up off of the ground and staggered over to the edge, eyes wide at the sizable hole in the side of the building. Every zombie in sight was shambling towards it, drawn by the massive noise. God damn, he wasn't lying, Landry breathed. That wasn't no pipe bomb. He stood there for another moment, noting that some of the zombies were wandering into the hole itself, which was an even better result than he'd imagined. He glanced back towards the intersection they'd wanted clear, seeing that it was emptying out. Hell yeah, this might actually work, he thought, clenching a victory fist, and then stepped back so he was out of sight on the roof. He jogged back to the hatch and hopped down into the office. He rushed down the stairs, and slipped out the front door just as his team approached it. That was a goddamn teeth rattler, wasn't it, boy? Rufus asked with a grin. Landry cracked a smile, waving a pretend white flag. I will never call anything you make a pipe bomb again. Goddamn right, the older man declared, clapping him on the shoulder. Whitaker poked her head around the corner, watching the last of the zombies move out of sight, she turned to the others and put her finger to her lips to shush them, and then darted out into the intersection. She crept quietly, leading them up to the edge of the building, looking around and waiting until the zombies had moved a good 20 yards up the road before waving them across. Everyone moved quickly and quietly across, Landry bringing up the rear. He stopped at the other side to look back at the horde, making sure none of them had turned tail towards them but they didn't. He gave Whitaker a thumbs up, and then the team jogged up the next two blocks, finding Bert's guns and ammo tucked away in the middle of a shopping building, like the others connected all the way across. Whitaker waved her partner to work on the lock, while the others stood guard. Sparks looked down the road and saw a lone zombie staggering around the corner, looking the other direction. Speed it up there, the redhead hissed. Landry grunted as he worked. Going as fast as I can, he replied quietly. Go faster, she murmured, urgency lacing her voice. 
He finally got the lock, and as soon as the latch clicked, he opened the door. Everybody in now, Sparks hissed, and everyone piled in, the redhead last. She gently shut the door and latched it, scurrying over to the first window display to check on the lone zombie. It wandered the other way, and she let out a sigh of relief. The rest of the team moved quickly through the store, clearing it. A chorus of reports of, clear, came back, and Landry wandered back over to the front window. What was that all about? He asked, raising an eyebrow. Sparks motioned outside. Zombie up the block, she said. Figured it would be better if it didn't catch wind of us. He nodded. Yeah, good call. All right, let's go shopping, Whitaker announced. Put everything useful on the back counter. We'll sort it out from there. Chapter 10 Jackpot, Trenton exclaimed as he spotted a stack of boxes behind the counter. He tore one open, wiggling a bottle of tequila out of its nestled sleeve. Someone had written $399.99 per bottle on the outside of the box in black marker. What did you find? Hammond asked, heading over. Trenton held out the bottle. It's tequila that most of us would have to take out alone to get a taste of. Clara, is that gonna work for you? The sergeant asked, passing it to her. She took it and inspected the label, a smile growing on her face. I think we're good, she said. How much is back there? He dug through the boxes, opening each one to make sure they were full. Three cases. That should buy us enough time to take out Tiago and get our boy back, Hammond replied. Jeff emerged from one of the aisles carrying two cases of liquor, setting them down on the counter. All right, I got what I came for. Sorry, Jeff, but we got three cases, Clara said, eyes apologetic. That's a lot for us to carry out. He sighed heavily before wandering off, muttering to himself, God damn it, I said we needed to bring a truck. After a few moments, he came back dragging two shopping carts behind him. Okay, we're good. Clara laughed and gave him a thumbs up. As they began to load the cases into the carts, there was a loud thud at the door. They all froze and looked at it and then eyes widened at the sound of more, faster thumping and slapping altogether. Guess the fire didn't take them all out, Hammond said. Jeff rushed to the window and looked outside, seeing about a dozen creatures, mostly singed and black, but a few completely untouched. Got 12 of them, three or four by the door. The sergeant thought for a second. Were there any more of those shopping carts, he asked. The skinhead grinned, catching on. You get the door, he instructed. Hammond headed for the door as his new partner grabbed a cart. Jeff went to the far side, lining himself up. You ready? The sergeant asked. Jeff nodded. Damn right, he replied. You just be ready to back me up. Wouldn't miss it, Hammond said with a smile. Clara and Trenton stared back and forth between them, confused. She opened her mouth to ask what was happening, but Jeff held up a hand. You just keep doing what you're doing, he instructed. And if there's room, throw in a couple more bottles of high-end whiskey. He threw her a wink and then let out a yell before tearing down the aisle. Just before he reached the door, 
Hammond opened it with perfect timing so that Jeff could blow across the threshold and slam the cart into the three zombies in front. He hit them with such force that they flew back into the air as the cart plowed into them. With the entranceway clear, Hammond grabbed two bottles of wine and leapt into the fray. He lunged at one of the standing zombies and slammed a bottle into its face, caving it in and dropping it. He spun and swung the other into the side of a rotted head, smashing it into the outer wall of the store. Jeff abandoned the cart and went at one of the knocked-over zombies, still flailing and trying to get up. He stomped on the back of its head with his boot, squashing it almost to the pavement with the force. Hammond swung a bottle again, hitting a zombie so hard the glass shattered, killing it and leaving him with a sharp blade. He rushed another ghoul and speared it through its roomy eye. Jeff grabbed another fallen zombie by the neck and rushed the brick wall, slamming it so hard its skull cracked and rotted brains splattered everywhere, dropping it. As the body crumpled to the ground, the sergeant dropped his broken bottles and pulled his knife, jamming the blade into an eye socket. He tried to pull it out, but it stuck fast, so he swung the corpse around and used it as a shield against another oncoming zombie. As he blocked it, it tried to reach around and grab him. He dodged a groping hand, but then his attacker flew to the side, and Clara was on top of it, slamming her knife down into its temple. Hammond finally freed his knife from the skull of his victim and wiped it off, sheathing it as he surveyed the bodies strewn everywhere. Clara crossed her arms and glared at him. Remember, she said firmly, the most important thing is that knocking them over is more important than delivering a kill shot. He chuckled, shaking his head. Actually, I lied, he admitted. The most important thing is, don't be cocky, although your thing is a close second. If you two are done doing whatever it is you're doing, Jeff spoke up, emerging from the store pushing a cart full of booze. We should probably start heading back. Hammond nodded, holding out an arm to usher him by. Lead the way, good sir. Chapter 11 Okay, that's the last of the usable stuff from the back, Landry announced as he slammed a case of nine millimeter rounds on the counter. Rufus eyed the hundred boxes of ammo stacked high above him and turned to the soldier as Whitaker and Sparks began to do a quick inventory. What do you mean, usable, he asked. Well, there's a bunch of 22 if you're interested, Landry replied with a wry smile. Rufus crossed his arms. Yep. That's everything that's usable. Landry appraised the mountain of boxes. Holy shit, it's like gun nut Christmas here. Well, don't get too excited, Whitaker said, as she counted a few boxes of shotgun shells. We still have to lug this stuff back. Look around and see if you can find some canvas bags or backpacks. The others rummaged through the store, heading in different directions, as she continued to take stock of what they had. Got some back here, Sparks called, and Landry and Rufus headed over to a large display near the front of the store. There was a mannequin modeling a large camo backpack with a whole rack of them behind. As she pulled it from the mannequin, something caught her eye from the window, and she turned to peer outside. She'd thought it might be a zombie, but it had moved too quickly for anything but a runner. 
Rufus approached her as she stared outside, brow furrowing at how still she was. We got company, the redhead suddenly barked, as she saw two men run across the street to the building on the corner across from them. Rufus continued his casual walk, assuming zombies, and neither Whitaker nor Landry paid much attention. A moment later, Sparks yelled, Grenade! She watched almost in slow motion as it flew through the air, and then turned towards Rufus, who stood frozen in the moment. She dove for him, barreling into his midsection and tackling him to the floor. They slid along behind a display, and she curled around him as the grenade detonated a few feet away, blowing a gaping hole in front of the building. She immediately lifted her head to check him over, straddling his hips as she pushed some debris back from his forehead. Rufus grinned. This is worth the ringing in my ears, he drawled. She rolled her eyes and playfully slapped him on the cheek. Bullets peppered the store, and sparks slid off of him as Landry and Whitaker came crawling up, guns at the ready. Who in the holy fuck is shooting at us? Landry cried. Whitaker waved for the gaping hole in the front of the store. Does it really fucking matter? She snapped. Just start shooting back. They hauled themselves up to the hole, each of them taking positions on either side of it for cover. They popped out to fire, shooting across the street, but it was difficult to tell where they should be shooting, aside from any broken windows. Where the fuck are they? Landry cried. Whitaker didn't respond, simply stared downrange through her scope towards a shattered window as he continued to sporadically fire. Come on, pop your head out, she muttered to herself. Come on. As if he'd been summoned, a gunman popped into the window to fire again. She saw visible tattoos on a Latino face and squeezed the trigger, sending a three-round burst into his chest and face. Got one, she declared at the satisfying display of a likely cartel member's exploded head. A torrent of bullets peppered the building again. That's great, Landry huffed. But what about the other six? As they flattened themselves against their cover again, Rufus and Sparks crept up beside Whitaker. Let's get the fuck out of here, Rufus said. She shook her head. No, we have to take them out. Fucking why, Rufus demanded. They're cartel, Whitaker snapped. He ran his hands through his hair eyes wide. How the fuck did they find us? Probably honed in on that redneck rattler explosion, Landry said, and then put up a hand as the older man glared at him for the blame. Hey, no judgment, the soldier insisted. That thing was fucking awesome. It doesn't matter how, Sparks cut in. They're here, so let's deal with them. Rufus shook his head. Fuck that, let's just get out of here. Whitaker fired off a few more bursts. If they followed Clara up here and find us, she said between shots, that town is fucked. Rufus paused and then muttered a string of unintelligible curses to himself, knowing that she was right. So what's the plan, he asked. Sparks peeked over the top of the window display, looking at the building across from them. It was a long string of stores, all connected in the same building. She clenched her jaw, a determined look in her eyes. You worry me when you get that look, Rufus said warily. She pointed across the street. Somebody's gotta get over there and deal with them, she said.
and leaned back. Landry, when you were on the roof, did you see access hatches everywhere? Just on the end stores, he replied after a bout of sporadic fire. The redhead jerked her thumb over her shoulder. Is there a back exit to this place? Yeah, through the storeroom, Landry replied between shots. All right, let's go, Rufus said. Sparks shook her head. No, I got this. You ain't going alone, he argued. And you aren't climbing up onto the roof, she shot back. Stay here and give me cover. Whitaker stopped shooting. I'll go with you. See, I'll be fine, Sparks said, motioning to the soldier. Landry, get Hammond on the line. Tell him we're in the shit, Whitaker instructed. You two worry about the ammo. Sparks and I will go into pursuit if need be. Landry nodded. On it. Rufus clenched his jaw, not pleased with the setup, but he knew Sparks was right. Fine, he conceded, and placed a quick kiss on the top of her head. But you be safe. She smiled and took off crawling next to Whitaker towards the back of the store, bullets still ripping through the building. Rufus took up Whitaker's empty position and readied his gun. So where the hell are they? He asked. If you see a broken window, shoot at it, Landry replied. The older man shrugged helplessly. All right. He popped off a few rounds, not sure if he hit anything or not. Landry slapped his communicator. Sarge, come in. We got a situation going on here. He popped out again to shoot, and when he moved back in, Hammond came on the line. What's happening? The sergeant demanded. Landry fired again before answering. Cartel found us, and they're none too pleased about it. Sit tight, we're on the way, Hammond replied immediately. Whitaker and Sparks made it to the storeroom, finally getting to their feet behind the wall, protecting them from the bullets. So, you got a plan? The soldier asked. Sparks nodded. Get across the street, get on the roof, get in through their roof access and fuck them up. Sounds solid to me, Whitaker replied, and opened the back door to the alley. They peeked outside, and there were four zombies lined up at the far end, standing two by two in the narrow pathway. How's your hand-to-hand -hand skills? Whitaker asked. Sparks smirked and stepped out into the alleyway. They just better be thankful we're not in a ring. She took off running towards the first duo, launching herself into the air. She gave them a double knee hit, driving them both into the ground and pinning them there. She drew her knife and stabbed them both in quick succession. Not bad, Sparks, Whitaker breathed, nodding at her partner in approval. Not bad at all. The redhead threw a smirk over her shoulder and motioned for the soldier to have a turn. Whitaker sprinted towards the second duo, delivering a vicious straight kick to a zombie's chest, sending it to the ground. She grabbed the other one by the shirt and slammed it into the wall, and then stabbed it in the temple before lashing down and shanking the other one in the eye. Sparks grinned. Yeah, we're gonna fuck these boys up. Chapter 12 The women ran to the end of the alley, stopping at the end and surveying the situation. There were no creatures in the immediate vicinity. However, there was a huge horde a few blocks up, working their way towards the gunfire. 
That doesn't look good, Sparks said with a sigh. Whitaker shook her head in agreement. Maybe five minutes if we're lucky. Let's get going then, the redhead replied, and they broke cover, tearing for the intersection and stopping at the edge to keep out of the firefight. None of the cartel attackers were out the windows, so didn't have a vantage point to see out the direction where the duo were hiding. Go, Whitaker hissed, and they rushed across the street, taking a knee by the door on the other side. The soldier drew her handgun, aiming it at the corner of the glass, waiting until there was sustained fire before shooting it out to cover the noise. The bottom portion of the door shattered from the single shot, giving them an opening to get inside. It was a knick-knack store, filled with gaudy crosses and live, laugh, love type of inspirational signs painted on reclaimed wood. Both women cringed as they moved through the space. Christ, it's like a big-haired Dallas woman exploded in here, Spark said, wrinkling her nose. Whitaker nodded. Definitely not taking any souvenirs back to the house, she agreed. They moved swiftly to the back of the store, remaining vigilant in the case of a trapped zombie, but there were none. As they entered the back storeroom, there was a ladder in the corner leading up to the roof access panel. Whitaker rushed over and leapt onto the ladder, climbing up quickly with sparks close behind. She threw open the hatch and clambered up onto the roof. The gunfight raged below as they ran across to the other hatch. Sparks grabbed onto the handle as Whitaker aimed her rifle, and the soldier nodded, prompting the redhead to throw it open. Whitaker leapt forward, but there was just a darkened storeroom below. I think we're good, she said, and slid down the short ladder onto a stack of boxes at the base. She hopped silently down to the floor and waited for Sparks to join her before they crept to the storeroom door, opening it silently. They were upstairs overlooking a general store-type showroom with a variety of goods like T-shirts, candy, and various gifts. Whitaker studied the area and saw that there were four men by the windows engaged in a gunfight with her friends. She pulled the door closed quietly. Four by the front window in two-by-two formation, she reported in a low voice. How do you want to play it? Sparks pointed to the rifle. You a good shot with that? Better than most, Whitaker shrugged. Good enough for me, the redhead replied. Let me get down there and you can provide me some cover as I start taking them out. Whitaker raised an eyebrow. Four on one? I know, they're at a disadvantage, Sparks replied with a dramatic sigh. But it's not my fault they only brought four men. The soldier cracked a smile and shook her head. Which side you starting on, she asked. Sparks opened the door and looked out, seeing a square checkout area in the center of the room. Center, actually, she said, pointing. You start shooting, draw him back towards you, and then I get him from behind. Sounds like a plan, Whitaker agreed. They exchanged a fist bump before Sparks snuck out of the room. Rather than walk down the stairs, she slid underneath the railing and dropped to the floor on light feet, remaining low as she crept to the checkout desk. She got into position and gave Whitaker a thumbs up. The soldier took aim at the two cartel members on the left and squeezed the trigger. The three-round burst wasn't terribly accurate, with only one bullet catching a gunman in the shoulder. His partner turned and saw her, 
raising his gun to open fire and force her back into the storeroom. He barked commands in Spanish, and one of the men from the other duo broke his position at the front, moving towards the back stairs. Whitaker popped back up to shoot, but there was a torrent of gunfire from the cartel as they worked their way back towards her, the wounded man and his buddy still firing at Landry and Rufus. Sparks lay in wait as they moved. She could hear their gunfire getting closer and closer to her. With her handgun in one hand, her other ready to strike at whoever came into view first, she took a deep breath as they approached her at the exact same time. She kept her back flat against the counter, remaining out of sight as best she could. She watched as the two of them continued to unload their guns in Whitaker's direction. When they were a couple feet past her, she popped up quickly and squeezed off around into the man to the right. He dropped to the floor, and the other man reacted much faster than she'd expected, and she knew she wouldn't make the shot. She dove for the ground as bullets whizzed by her head, and she fired through the counter from the floor, forcing the man to flee. She followed the trail of muzzle flashes as he ran for the back wall. Whitaker peeked out from cover, locking eyes with sparks, who motioned that the man was directly behind her. The soldier crept out onto the stairs and then leaned over the railing, firing a three-round burst into the top of the man's head. The wounded gunman from the window tried to fire at her, but missed badly. The shots were enough to get Whitaker to leap off of the stairs, and she slid to a stop on the ground below, gun clattering to the floor. The non-wounded gunman rattled off something in Spanish and broke away from his post, firing towards Sparks' position. The wood splintered all around her, and she crawled away as flat as she could get along the floor. Whitaker grabbed her rifle and popped up, opening fire, sending a few three-round bursts in the man's direction. She missed Wild due to the displays everywhere, skewing her perception of where he'd been standing. However, this gave Sparks the distraction she needed to sneak out the left side of the register area and flank him. He was down on one knee behind a clothing display, and she readied her handgun before leaping, sliding on her side along the floor until she appeared next to him, putting several bullets into the side of him. He flopped over, gasping from the wounds peppering his side, a pool of blood growing beneath him. The wounded man in the window fired in Sparks' direction, but between the pain and his panic, he didn't know where she was. The redhead remained down while he fired, which didn't last long as Whitaker came up the right side of the room and unloaded several rounds into his chest. Clear, she barked. You okay? Sparks laughed, peeling herself off of the floor. Living the dream, she grunted as she got to her feet. You? Whitaker grinned and walked up to the window carefully, remaining low so she wouldn't get hit with friendly fire. Landry, we're clear, she yelled. Stop fucking shooting at us. The women shared a confused glance as they still heard gunfire, and the soldier peeked out towards the gun store. She didn't see any flashes coming from inside, but the torrent of gunfire continued. More in the store next to us, Whitaker said, and then the wall next to her exploded. The women ducked down, tumbling to the ground. Sparks lost her handgun, sliding under a display, and fell into a crouch as three men came through the hole in the wall. 
she rushed towards them from the side, focusing on the largest of the three in the back of the formation. As she ran, she grabbed a glass jar of gumballs off of a display table before leaping up and delivering a vicious strike with it to the side of the man's head. The force of the blow shattered the container, sending glass shards and colorful balls everywhere. He fell to the floor, clutching his head as she rolled away and ducked behind another display. The other two quickly turned and aimed, but didn't see where she'd gone in the less-than-ideal lighting conditions and how quickly she'd moved. As their friend shook off the injury, the two standing gunmen turned their attention towards Whitaker, who popped up to take aim at them. She fired a single round, catching the leader in the face and dropping him immediately. She dropped back down into cover as the other man panic-fired in her direction. The wounded man got back to his feet, enraged as he tore bits of glass from his scalp. He moved towards the direction Sparks had rolled, muttering under his breath in Spanish. He threw back a clothing display, aiming down, but there was nothing behind it. Before he could turn, she came in from beside him, delivering a flying two-footed kick to the side of his knee. He buckled, groaning as his leg bent at a horrific angle, and turned, rage blazing in his eyes as he fought through the pain to tower over her. The kick had made her hit the ground, and she scrabbled to get back to her feet. He reached down and grabbed her ankle, dragging her towards him, and she booted him in the groin with her free foot. He doubled over in pain, and she kicked upwards, cracking him right in the chin and sending him staggering back. Sparks managed to get to her feet just as the giant cartel member recovered from the two blows. He shook his head as if to clear it, and she took the opportunity to run forward, leaping up into the air to aim a knee blast at his face. He caught her, spun, and used the momentum of the kick to throw her back, slamming her hard into the ground. He stomped over as she laid unmoving, the wind seemingly knocked out of her. He planted one foot on either side of her and reached down to grab her by the hair, but she suddenly whipped out her knife and drove it straight down through the top of his foot. He let out a blood-curdling scream, staring with horror at the hilt, pinning his limb to the floor. Sparks grabbed a large shard of broken glass and got to her feet, just as he lashed out and grabbed her by the throat, picking her up off of the ground. She jammed the glass into his wrist, running it up his arm to his elbow, slicing through enough nerves for him to lose his grip on her slender neck. She landed on her feet and pounced up, driving the shard into his throat and tearing it out the side, slicing out a good chunk of his tender flesh. His eyes widened, and then he fell to the floor as his jugular spewed crimson. In the meantime, Whitaker and her own opponent were playing hide-and-seek along the ground of the store behind different displays. They moved from cover to cover, trying to get a read on their opponent. As Whitaker moved, she heard footsteps close by and leapt out to aim and fire. They bumped into each other, and the shot went off close to their heads, partially deafening both of them. They grabbed a hold of each other's guns, and a struggle ensued, each of them trying to wrench the weapon from their attacker. Whitaker quickly slammed her forehead into the man's nose, collapsing it with a sickening crunch. They both dropped their weapons after the impact, giving her a chance to dart forward 
spinning around him. She wrapped her arm around his neck, tightening it into a chokehold. He thrashed on the ground violently as she cut off his air supply, trying to break free from her iron grip. After his body stopped twitching, she finally released him and then snapped his neck quickly, making sure he wasn't going to wake up again. She glanced over at Sparks, standing over the bleeding out body of the giant cartel member she'd shanked with glass, and their gazes met at the sound of gunfire still coming from the neighboring store. They crept towards the blown out hole, each pressing their backs up against it on either side as the gunfire became sporadic as it moved. Sparks peeked in, seeing four gunmen run towards the back while firing. One of them spotted her and opened fire, and she ducked by at the last second. They're heading for the alley, Sparks cried, and Whitaker leapt through the hole immediately, rushing after them. Sparks grabbed one of the fallen men's AK-47s before tearing after her, joining the pursuit. Whitaker reached the back of the store and threw open the emergency door. It struck one of the gunmen in the back, knocking him over. She aimed towards the other three fleeing men, but one turned and fired at her, forcing her back inside. Sparks rushed past her and popped out into the alley, firing with the AK, but missed as they rounded the corner. They're getting away, she screamed, and tore off down the alleyway towards them, unaware of the knockdown man behind the door. He sat up and tried to aim at her, but Whitaker kicked the gun, causing it to fire harmlessly into the concrete building next to them. This startled Sparks, who glanced back to see the soldier emerging to handle the man. She made sure the gun was pointed away from her, slamming the door shut and delivering a vicious elbow strike to his face. As he fell back onto the ground, she whipped out her rifle and popped two rounds into his chest and one into his face. She turned back the other way, just to see Sparks rounding the corner in pursuit of the other men. The redhead tore down the road, with the trio of gunmen ignoring her from a full block up. She stopped in the intersection and unloaded a stream of bullets as they turned the corner, missing and striking the wall of the corner building. What are you doing, girl? Rufus yelled from the gun store. They turned right at the next road, Sparks yelled back, and then took off running. Rufus secured his backpack of ammunition. That girl is something else, he muttered, and followed Landry out of the gun store. They looked back to see the front edge of a horde of zombies coming around the corner. Let's move, Landry declared. As they reached the intersection, Whitaker ran up and joined them. Where did Sparks go, she demanded. She's chasing after something, Rufus said, and pointed in the direction the redhead had gone. Whitaker clenched a fist. Three cartel assholes making a break for it. Let's go then, Landry said, and tossed her an ammo bag. Chapter 13 Sparks reached the intersection, carefully looking around the corner to make sure she wasn't rushing into an ambush. She saw the targets, running down the street already clearing the next block. She dove out of hiding, staying glued to the building so she had some semblance of cover. She watched the fleeing men closely as they ran up the road, slowing her pursuit in order to do it safely. As she got halfway up the block, she saw them running by the next intersection, with one of the gunmen pausing and panic firing. 
Sparks instinctively stopped, taking a knee to aim, but held off on firing when she saw he was firing down a side street. After a moment, one of the other men yelled at him, so he stopped firing, rushing back to rejoin his team. Fucking zombies, the redhead muttered and broke into a dead sprint. She ran as hard as she could towards the intersection a block and a half up. If he was firing, it meant zombies were close, and if she got cut off, it would be game over for Fabens. As she cleared the next intersection, there were dozens of creatures coming off of the side street. She immediately broke off from the buildings and went into the street so she could keep the fleeing gunmen in her sights. The sound of her running gained the attention of several creatures, who immediately turned to her instead of the fleeing cartel members. She broke across the street, running diagonally to attempt to beat the flood of ghouls. Sparks got to the intersection, leaping up onto the sidewalk to avoid rotted, outstretched hands. When she cleared them, she looked to the next turnoff and then dove behind a metal trash can as all three cartel members aimed at her. Bullets peppered her hiding spot, as well as the building behind her, all three unloading a steady stream. She looked over her shoulder and saw that the zombies were getting closer, and as soon as the firing stopped, she popped off a few rounds at the ghouls closest to her, hitting them in the head and dropping them about five yards from her hiding spot. She peeked out from behind the garbage can, seeing that the men had disappeared. She took off running again, straining and pumping her legs hard to put distance between herself and the coming horde. As Sparks approached the next cross street, she slid past the building, just in time to see the men duck off into an alley. She checked the ammo in her gun, finding the mag about half full. She readied it as she moved at a brisk pace towards the alley. She got halfway there when a black SUV came screaming out of it, tires squealing as it rounded the corner, driving away from her. She immediately raised her rifle and opened fire, hitting the back of it, but not doing any significant damage. Fuck, she screamed, standing there frustrated and helpless as the vehicle moved several blocks to the south in a straight line before turning on what appeared to be the main road. She put a hand to her forehead, clenching her jaw, and then whipped around at the sound of a loud, deep horn from behind her. She ran back to the intersection, where there was a giant wrecker truck coming up the road. She waved her arms and fired a shot in the air, letting them know where she was. The truck picked up steam, rushing towards the horde in the road. It plowed through them, sending bodies flying every which way, smacking into others and careening into nearby buildings with satisfying accuracy. It screeched to a stop beside her. Rufus opened the door, Landry and Whitaker hanging onto the cab on the back. Well, come on, girl, the older man urged. We got a chase to get to. He held out his hand and pulled her up, slamming the door behind her. Hammond was behind the wheel, and he hit the gas, turning down the road she'd just been on. Where did they go? He asked. Several blocks up, turning to the west, she said. He nodded. Was it the main road? He asked. She scratched the back of her head. Had to be, she replied. Let's hope you're right, he replied, and hit the gas, driving at higher than safe speeds down the road. Sparks looked out of the passenger window as they went past side streets, 
seeing zombies packed into them, shoulder to shoulder. Which road? Hammond demanded. She pursed her lips and then replied, not a hundred percent, but try the next one. He veered to the left to make a wide right turn and cut the wheel early to the point where the front right tire bounced over the sidewalk as they turned. Landry pounded on the roof. Take it easy, Sarge. There aren't any seatbelts out here, he cried. My bad, Hammond called back, and then punched the gas as he straightened out on the main road through town. Up a few blocks were several groups of zombies, no more than ten or so, scattered about. In the center of the road were several on their asses, struggling to get back to their feet. This has got to be it, Spark said, motioning to the fallen zombies. The sergeant hit the gas, and the lumbering vehicle slowly picked up speed. Zombies reached out to grab it, but their hands were easily knocked away. Everybody kept their eyes trained on the horizon, hoping to see the fleeing SUV. Finally, after a few blocks, they spotted it, trying to weave around packs of walking corpses. Got him, Rufus declared. Hammond punched the roof to let Landry and Whitaker know they were on standby. They secured their footing as best they could, aiming over the roof with their rifles as they pressed themselves up against the cab. A gunman popped up out of the passenger side window of the SUV and started shooting. Landry and Whitaker opened fire without hesitation, though with the distance and constant movement, it was difficult to get a clear shot. They were able to break out the back window and pepper the trunk with bullets. After a few moments of sustained fire, the gunman retreated back inside. Did we get him? Landry asked. Whitaker shrugged. He stopped shooting, so I could care less if we did or not, she replied. The pursuit continued for several blocks, the SUV continuing to weave in and around groups of zombies, while Hammond used the might of the wrecker to plow right through them, a necessity to gain on them. The gunman popped out the window again, only this time he was firing forward. He unloaded an entire magazine in a single trigger pull, spraying all over the place. What is he doing? Sparks asked, eyes wide. Hammond let off the gas. The redhead gaped at him. What are you doing? They're about to hit the horde, the sergeant explained, pointing through the windshield. We don't want any part of that. The SUV plowed into a thick mass of bodies and was soon enveloped by the giant wall of rotted flesh. Within seconds, the vehicle was completely surrounded in its futile attempt to plow forward. The driver hit the gas as hard as he could, but the tires just spun in place, unable to gain any traction against the compressed mass of corpses. Hammond stopped about 20 yards away, the engine idling. The noise attracted some creatures away from the SUV, and the sergeant rolled down his window to talk to Landry. Keep your sights on them, he called. If they have a sunroof, I don't want to get surprised. Sparks leaned forward. So now what? They look pretty dead in the water there. Rufus cut in. Yeah, but do you want to risk it? She asked, turning to him. If they somehow find a way out of that, all of us are in trouble. Landry got back on the firing line, waiting for something to happen. After a few moments, they listened as the engine of the SUV popped, eventually whining down to nothing, smoke billowing out from the hood as the zombies smacked at the glass. 
As the engine died down, the rumble of the wrecker engine was the only constant noise, which began to attract even more of the creatures in their direction. Sarge, I don't mean to rush you or anything, Landry said shrilly, but we're a little exposed out here. Sparks nodded. Not to mention it would be a good idea to get their attention off of us, she added. Open to ideas, Hammond said wryly. Rufus dug around into his small pack and pulled out another redneck rattler. He held it out the window towards Whitaker. Hey there, he said, stretching his arm as far as it would go. Would you mind giving this a light and a toss? Hammond leaned over to try to see what was being passed off. What's that? As soon as she throws it, Sparks replied, you're gonna want to back up quick and far. The sergeant glanced at Rufus, who just gave him a thumbs up and a big smile. Hammond shook his head, not bothering to question it, and put the wrecker into reverse. Whitaker lit the rattler, reared back, and threw it as hard as she could. Everyone watched with bated breath as it soared through the air, landing just to the right of the SUV. Hammond slowly began to back up. Might wanna hit the gas there, chief, Rufus urged, and the sergeant hit it harder, backing over stragglers to get away from the blast radius. Zombies swarmed towards them, ignoring the hissing bomb in their midst. A few seconds later, the rattler went off under the wheel well, sending the SUV up into the air. It flew back and flipped over, landing on its roof on top of several flaming zombies. Hammond did a quick three-point turn before speeding down the highway. Landry and Whitaker looked back and watched as the zombies converged on the flaming vehicle in the middle of the road. If somebody did survive that blast, they won't be surviving much longer, Whitaker said, and Landry held out his fist for her to bump. She did so, and they shared a smile of pride at the damage they'd caused for the day. Chapter 14 The group unloaded the booze and ammunition from the vehicles they'd liberated from the wrecker yard, the tequila piling up into Trenton and Clara's vehicle. You got enough fuel to make it back? Sparks asked, as she emerged from their apartment building, swiping her hands off of each other. Trenton nodded. Yeah, we should be okay, he replied. I made sure to load up on an extra 10 gallons that's in the back. I'm glad you said that, the redhead replied with a smile, because I'm not sure we have a whole lot to spare at the moment. The duo let out a chuckle together at her honesty, happy for their foresight. Clara loaded the last crate of tequila in the back and shut the hatch. I think we're good to go, she declared. The others wandered off to say goodbye. It was good seeing you two again, Hammond said, shaking Trenton's hand. Landry grinned. Yep, always a fun time when we get together, he added. Death, destruction, mayhem. What can I say? I know how to party, Clara replied with a wink. Whitaker held up a finger. You be sure to tell Leon and Rogers that we're raring to go whenever they got a plan, she said. I know they're working hard on one, Clara replied. As soon as they get something together, we'll be right back up here. Sparks crossed her arms and cocked her head. You know, I think it's about time we came down and checked out your town for ourselves. It is? Rufus asked, blinking at her. The redhead turned to him. Don't you think? She asked. 
If the cartel came this far out, we're going to be in danger whether we want to be or not. Figure we might as well get in the game. Well, you know me, girl, he replied, shaking his head. I'll follow you anywhere. Trenton held out his arms. We'd love to have you, he said sincerely. Frankly, we're beyond shorthanded at the moment. I know that Leon and Rogers would be ecstatic. We have plenty of room if you want to come with us now, Clara said, motioning to the back seat. Spark shook her head. I think we've had enough adventure for one day, she replied. Tell Leon and Rogers that they can expect us in a few days. We'll make sure to have something special planned for you, Trenton replied with a grin. Rufus held up his hands, palms out. After today's festivities, I think we'll be fine with something quiet. In that case, Clara said with a smirk, we'll have to get something super special set up. A chuckle rippled around the group, and Hammond patted the roof as they got into the SUV. Drive safe, he said. Landry cracked his knuckles. And save some cartel fuckers for us to kill. They all stepped back as Trenton drove away, and the soldier let out a deep grunt. I don't know about you guys, but I'm starving like a motherfucker. Pretty sure Jeff is gonna start some food after checking in on Ricky and Mary, Sparks replied. Hammond nodded. Good, we have some time to go over the stockpile you pulled from the gun store. Come on, those bullets aren't gonna count themselves, Landry said brightly, and they headed into the garage to go over their haul. Chapter 15 Leon and Rogers went through the kitchen of a small one-bedroom house. They were discouraged as they opened the pantry, finding only one pack of ramen noodles. This is the third house like this we've found today, Rogers sighed. Leon shook his head and cracked a smile. You'd almost think that this was a college town, he said and checked his watch. Man, time flies when you're having fun. About time to call it a day? The detective asked, peering outside at the late afternoon sun. Might as well, Leon replied with a shrug. Either they had luck in Fort Stockton, in which case we have plenty of time to clear these houses, or they didn't have luck and we have two days to mount a defense against a small army. Rogers raised an eyebrow as they stepped out the front door, stretching before heading down the porch steps. So you've spent some time wandering around town, do you have some thoughts on defending this place? Well, in an ideal world, we'd be setting up shooters in every single house, Leon replied as they wandered the few blocks back towards the command center, making them pay for every inch of town they took. The detective rolled his eyes. And in the non-fantasy world where that scenario has a less than 0% chance of working? The only realistic answer is the high school, Leon replied. It's big, strong, and we can turn it into a fortress. I mean, sure, they probably have an abundance of high explosives at their disposal, but we can make them pay dearly to take us out. Rogers tilted his head from side to side, thinking about it. We could always do a bit of both, he suggested. Fortify the high school, stock it for a prolonged siege, and set up some defense houses. Better than that, Leon added, holding up a finger. While we don't have the manpower to staff those houses, we can designate some trap houses. The detective stroked his chin. That could be interesting, he mused. 
rig them to explode or catch fire or something when they go into them. They drive us back into the school, we start firing. They take cover in the houses and boom. Well, given our lack of explosives, Leon replied with a grimace. We might have to resort to something a little more low tech. I was thinking something like chlorine gas. Rogers cocked his head. I know that shit can fuck your lungs up pretty good, but how lethal is it? Get it in the right mixture and make sure they can't get out? His friend replied, quite deadly. The detective nodded thoughtfully. I can dig it, he said. Just as long as we keep enough chlorine to keep a pool open this summer. Oh, that's funny, Leon quipped. You thinking we're gonna make it to summer? Rogers put a hand to his chest. I mean, I know I will, he shot back playfully. If you don't have the intestinal fortitude to make it, that's on you. There going to be margaritas at this hypothetical pool? Leon wondered. The detective smacked his lips. I was always partial to pina coladas. That's because you're a pussy, his friend said, and they cracked up at their good-natured ribbing of each other. As they approached the command center, Trenton's SUV came into view sitting out front. Wow, they're back already? Rogers blinked in surprise. Leon picked up the pace. Hopefully that means good news. He burst inside, the detective hot on his heels, and stopped short at the sight of Trenton and Clara sitting in office chairs, their feet propped up on a stack of crates with tequila labels. Oh, tell me those things are full, Leon blurted, pointing at the crates. Clara smirked. If they weren't, then we wouldn't have brought them back. Hell yeah, he gushed, heading over to inspect the top box. Y'all whooped some ass today. Rogers approached a little slower, eyes on Clara. Everybody make it through the day okay, he asked. Everybody except the cartel trackers, she replied, and the two men froze, brows furrowed. You, you killed the trackers? Leon asked. Trenton shook his head. Personally? No, we didn't, he replied. Everybody else, however, bagged at least one. Christ, how many were there? Roger's jaw dropped. Clara shrugged. I don't know, she said. A dozen or so? They must really be out for blood, Leon said, sharing a look with the detective. Rogers nodded. We should probably get ready for stuff to go down. None of them got away, Trenton piped up. Rogers crossed his arms. Are you sure? Very, Clara confirmed, nodding. Hammond and his crew were very thorough. I sure hope you're right, Leon replied. Because if you're not, we're gonna need a hell of a lot of help. She grinned. On that front, Spark said she's going to be coming down in a few days, she said. Just to meet everybody and figure out how they can help more. About time we got some good news. Rogers let out a deep breath. Trenton grinned. I'd say a boatload of alcohol, some dead cartel members, and new allies qualifies as good news. Still, if it's all the same to you, Leon replied, I'm gonna start getting our defense set up. Clara cocked her head. What kind of defense? Did you take chemistry in school? He asked. She pursed her lips for a moment. Yeah, I was considering it as a major for a while, but didn't go that route. 
and you and I are gonna have a whole lot of fun starting tomorrow, Leon replied, pointing at her. Rogers checked his watch. Well, I hate to break this up, he said, but Ethel is currently on the verge of plating up dinner. If we're not there on time, she's liable to be more of a threat to our well-being than the cartel. Leon clapped his friend on the shoulder. Ain't that the truth, he said, and waved to Trenton and Clara. Come on, let's get out of here. Chapter 16 Sonora, 150 miles east of Fort Stockton. Brandon sat at his desk in the second floor office, enjoying a nice breeze through the open windows. Despite the slight smell of charred bodies, it was a welcome change to the stuffy building air. It had been over two weeks since Rufus and Sparks had wreaked havoc on the small town, killing most of the able-bodied men, the most savage of which, trapping Brandon's boss and several of his men in the building next door and lighting it on fire as they left town. He wrinkled his nose. It wasn't just the screams and smell of burning flesh that haunted him. It was the survivor's guilt. Why did they let him live? It was a question that had kept him up many a night since that day. Being spared of death had another side effect, which was putting him in charge of the town. Only a few men remained, with the majority of the other survivors not being able to contribute much. He sighed as he went over the numbers of the goods they had. Knock, knock, George sang as he walked in. Branton waved him forward. Hey, come on in. George was a lumpy fellow that looked like he hadn't exercised a day in his life and had been thrust into the role of Brandon second following the tragedy in their town. He handed his boss a sheet of paper. This is the latest food count, George said. Brandon looked at it, pursing his lips and shaking his head. Why are these so low? We still haven't gotten anything from Junction, his second replied. Shipment didn't come today? Brandon asked. George shook his head. Not just shipment, he replied, but anything from Junction. Didn't get anything the last couple of days either. That's odd, his boss mused. Sheriff Hutch usually sends us something, even if it's just a survivor. George wrung his hands. I don't know, maybe after, you know, he swallowed hard. Maybe he's given up on us. Have you been able to get the ham radio up and going? Brandon asked darkly. His second nodded frantically. Yeah, got her up this morning, he replied quickly. Think she's working pretty good. Well, let's see if we can find out what's going on, Brandon replied and stood up, grabbing a handgun and a walkie-talkie off of his desk. The two men walked downstairs and headed outside, past the crispy building. Brandon didn't look at it purposely avoiding his gaze, not wanting to see the charred zombie corpses still strewn everywhere. Manpower was at a premium, and since he and George were the only two who came near the building, he didn't want to waste time or energy on the burnt-up shell. They headed into a building a few doors down, walking into the radio room. When they got inside, there was a teenage boy sitting at the controls. He leaned back in his chair with a football, spinning it up in the air and catching it. Look sharp now, George said, and the kid fumbled his ball and jerked out of his seat, standing at attention. Brandon just smiled and held out his hand. 
It's all good, he said. Has there been anything on the radio? The kid shook his head. No, sir, he reported. Nothing all day, but I've just been listening. Why don't you go take a break, Brandon offered. I'm gonna mess with it for a bit. The kid rushed off, heading out the door with his ball in hand. Brandon sat down and began dialing in the frequency that Sheriff Hutch had been on. He set it up and lifted the mic to his lips. Hey there, Sheriff Hutch. It's Brandon over in Sonora. Come back, he said, and then waited. There was nothing. Sheriff, it's Brandon in Sonora. We've been offline for a bit, but we're back. Do you copy? Dead silence. Sheriff Hutch or anybody, do you copy? After another moment, Brandon tossed down the receiver and sighed heavily. He swiveled the chair towards his second. Well, no matter how you slice it, that's not a good sign, he said. Maybe their radio is down too? George asked hopefully. Brandon shook his head. Unlikely. He took a deep breath. Not only do they have police quality equipment, I know a few of the men on the force have their own setups. They live in the middle of nowhere, so they need something to keep themselves entertained. I always went for video games and movie streaming, George admitted. His boss shrugged. Great for you, but not so great for rural Texans in their 50s. Yeah, I can see that, George agreed. Brandon stared at the receiver and picked up the microphone again. Calling in for Sheriff Hutch or anybody in Junction. This is Brandon in Sonora, please respond, he said again. But there was nothing in the way of a reply. When he tossed the microphone down again, George took a step forward. If you want, I can gas up my car and drive down, he offered. You know, to make sure everything is okay. It's a little risky. Brandon trailed off for a moment. But we may not have a choice. His second jerked a thumb over his shoulder, motioning to the door. If you don't mind, he said. I could take our young radio operator with me. He might get a better appreciation of the importance of the job if he sees the system we got in place. You know what? That's not a bad idea. Brandon mused, rubbing his chin. Can't imagine what it's like being a teenager in all this mess. All of a sudden, his walkie-talkie came to life, and a panicked voice cried, Oh my God, Brandon, Brandon, are you there? Brandon lifted the radio to his mouth. Ken, he asked. Calm down, buddy, I'm here. What's going on? You, you gotta get to the interstate, Ken replied, sounding breathless. Several gunshots rang out before the line went dead, and Brandon sat up straight, eyes wide. Ken? he cried. Ken, do you copy? There was no answer, and he looked up at his second, who stood frozen in fear. Your car here? No, I walked, George replied, shaking. Shit, Brandon cursed, and then rushed out the door. He looked around frantically for the teenage radio operator, but he was nowhere to be found. Several gunshots cracked in the distance towards the interstate, Brandon took off running in that direction, and George huffed as he tried to keep up with him. What about? He gasped as he ran. Brandon shook his head. He'll be fine, he replied. We've got to get to the interstate. He pumped his legs hard, pulling away from his second, who was huffing and puffing with the effort. 
The gunshots intensified as he grew closer. By the time he was two blocks away, every man he had stood on the interstate exit, unloading every bullet in their guns in the direction of junction. Brandon froze, coming to a stop, chest heaving and eyes wide with fear. What the hell? I'm starting cardio tomorrow, I swear, George gasped as he caught up. Gonna have to wait, Brandon replied, and grabbed his shirt to pull him up. The gunfire continued as they ran up the exit ramp, coming up to a firing line of eight men standing shoulder to shoulder, shooting constantly. Brandon sprinted to the top, and his body seemed to melt into the ground in fear. George caught up, doubled over and gasping for air. Man, you have got to slow down. He looked up at his boss. What's wrong? He followed Brandon's gaze to the interstate, and his eyes nearly bugged out of his head. There were tens of thousands of zombies, easily into the hundreds of thousands, but it was impossible to tell for sure. Creatures packed shoulder to shoulder from one side of the interstate, clear to the other side, and going back as far as the eye could see. What do we do? George babbled, scrubbing at his face. What do we do? Brandon stared at them, the first no more than 40 yards away and closing quickly. Every bit of life drained from his face, skin going pale. George grabbed his arm and shook him. Brandon, he urged, desperate for direction. Brandon! The firing line broke, giving up, and ran for their cars, jumping in and speeding off towards town. Brandon simply continued to stare at the horde. We have to run, George screamed. Brandon finally blinked and turned to his friend. He patted him on the shoulder. George, you be safe now, he said. Get as far away from here as you can. Brandon, his second cried shrilly. Brandon patted him again and gave him a solid push down the exit ramp. Go. George hesitated, but then gave up trying to persuade him and turned to run towards a car. Brandon watched him for a moment, and then turned back to the horde, watching the impenetrable mass of rotted flesh stagger towards him. They were 20 yards away, and more were shuffling between the trees. It was suddenly clear why nothing had come from Junction in the past few days, why Sheriff Hutch had not responded to any of his calls. Brandon knew that he didn't have what it took to survive the impending doom that staggered towards him, towards the town. He wasn't cut out for this. As they got to within ten yards of him, he pulled out his handgun and checked to make sure there was a round in the chamber. He put the barrel to his temple and took a deep breath, conceding that this was the last moment of his life. Just as the zombies were within grabbing distance, he pulled the trigger. The sound was barely audible over the sea of moans and growls, and had there been anyone there to observe it, they wouldn't have noticed his body dropping beneath the ghouls as dozens of creatures pounded on the still warm corpse, devouring the tasty flesh with gusto. The horde shambled on by, looking for their next meal, heading down the interstate, heading west. End of Book 7 Up next... The survivors in Bismarck get an unexpected visitor.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.